Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Good morning, Everyday Church. (laughs) When I think of an overcomer, I think of a 12-year-old girl who last year, she had already experienced the trauma of being court-ordered removed from her parents, but she also was experiencing an adjustment of having to live with her great-grandmother, and then she experienced the trauma of going through a hurricane last year. Let me just tell you that for the last six months, this 12-year-old girl has been sharing a bed with her great-grandmother who's 84 years old, who is taking care of her. One of the reasons why is because when the hurricane hit last year, it took her bedroom out. And her great-grandmother, who's widowed, who's caring for her great-granddaughter, didn't have the means to get this little girl's room put in a place that was safe for her to sleep in. The floor had been rotted out. FEMA wasn't coming in and doing anything to help. The electrical outlets were gone. There was no air conditioning in the room. And hey, we already mentioned that air conditioning is a blessing of the Lord, right? And so for over six months, every night this 12-year-old girl is sleeping with her great-grandmother. She's had so much taken from her life, so much removed from her life, but she's an overcomer. Amen? Angie and I, we began our foster adoption journey in 2013. So from 2013 to 2019, we had the pleasure of having... A couple dozen of these overcomers come through our house. Now, six of these children, their parents' rights were either terminated by the court or their parents surrendered their rights. And so we were able to give them a forever family through the gift of adoption. And God has truly blessed us as a result of that. Now, ironically, when my wife and I first got married, I wanted one child. Oh my goodness, that was the dream. And you know, when you get married, your spouse has their own dream. My wife's dream was four children. And so like every young couple does, we compromised and we had five. And so we have 11 children today. Eight are still at home. I'm blessed to have two with us this morning in church today with us. So it's good to have Zeke and Lyric today. So we've eight at home between the age of five, and then we have a 16-year-old that just started driving last week, I think. Lord, help me. All right. And I was commissioned by my wife to be the instructor, so, uh, and I'm still alive. So the glory to God, hallelujah, God is on all of our sides today, so a beautiful thing. There's around 21,000 children in Florida that are overcoming the trauma uh, of removal from their parents. They are, uh, and they need help. They need help from the community, but they need help from the church. And so God has, has, has positioned us to provide them the help that they need to overcome many obstacles that are in their way that they're facing right now. And local churches just like this one across our nation are finding their place in this space to say, we want to do something. How can we help? Angie and I, we believe that every one of these children are overcomers. And with the help of the church, 
they will know the love of God and they will know the greatest overcomer that the world has ever known, Jesus Christ. Amen? So as mentioned earlier, there is a opportunity that Everyday Church has already stepped into, one of our early adopters here in, in Marion County. And that is an opportunity we have where the state agencies and our governor has had a huge initiative of community and faith working together in order to solve the problem of vulnerable children in our communities. One of these programs that we have been uh, uh, releasing throughout the state is a program and it's actually a piece of technology. The technology is called Care Portal. And what happens is simply this. A caseworker here in Marion County will find a child, just like the one I mentioned here earlier, who's in need. And she will take that, that barrier there, that obstacle that's in that child's life for them to have a safe place, uh, a stable place to be. And they'll put it into this technology. And churches, just like everyday church, have signed up and said, hey, we want to be aware of these children and what their needs are. Would you tell us what the, what's going on? So they will write a story. They put it into the technology. And then those of you here that have signed up to be responders through the church are notified th uh, from, uh, through the care portal from the caseworker. And there are multiple agencies in this community that are involved with working with vulnerable children. You have an opportunity to read that child's story, see what the barriers are there, the obstacles that are there, and see if maybe you would, could participate, be involved in helping to remove one of those barriers, one of those obstacles in that child's life. And as a result of that, thousands of children across our state in just the last several years have either been prevented from going into foster care, they found stability with a foster family or a relative caregiver, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, or they found help from the church as they were transitioning out of foster care or even into an adoption placement because the church has found an opportunity to step in and say, hey, this is something we can do. So this church here, Everyday Church, you guys signed up and you said, hey, we want to be aware of children that are within a 15-mile radius of our location. And if you would make us aware of that, we'd be willing to participate once a month in helping provide maybe a bed for a child, a car seat for a child, Maybe uh, you're providing a crib for a newborn. And, and so there's an opportunity and there's a plethora of ways that the church can get involved in that. And that's what's happening next Sunday, right after church here, the light meal. And so if you say, hey, I want to get involved in that. First of all, let me ask this. If you are aware of a child within a 15 mile radius of this church, if you're aware of their need, would you be willing to pray for them? Let me see your hand. If you'd be willing to pray for that child. So just about 100% of us say, hey, if I knew what that child's need was, I'd, I'd be willing to pray immediately for that. That's your response. You're already a responder. And you won't know of that child's need unless you sign up today so that that need comes into your inbox through the email. So there's an opportunity to do that. And I think if you could put that QR code up there, there's a, that also. But these are on the back, back table when you leave out of here, these cards here. So you can use this QR code and you can sign up right now. Okay, uh, let me continue before you get too excited there. I just, if you take your cameras out and point them this way, I'll just think you're taking a picture of me, and I'll pose for you. I mean, I'll be a poser today if I have to be. For the children, I'll do anything. So uh, second thing is, if you said, hey, you know what? If I was aware of that child's need, I'd be willing to share that need with my social network, my friends, my family members. I'd be willing to tell them and say, hey, hey, I know it. I just read a story about a kid that's about five miles from here who's sleeping on the floor 
We need to get them out of bed. There's no reason for that to have them sleep on the floor. Amen? So you'd be willing to share that with your friends, your church family. people. So, And then the third area on here that you say, you know, maybe I could do this. If you'd be willing today to say, and you'd say, you know what, I'd be willing to participate and help meet, meet one need a year. I'd be, a hundred bucks I could buy a mattress. Let me see your hand here today. If you'd be willing one time this year to participate in meeting a need for a child. So many of you here already saying, you know what, I'd be willing to buy a car seat once this year for a child to make sure that they have a safe place in their vehicle, that they're protected. So you're already a responder just because you're saying, you know what, I'd be willing to do that one time this year, help meet a need for a child that's not in another country somewhere. Can I just tell you? These children are in our own backyard. They're our kids. They go to our schools. They attend our churches. They live in our community. They live in our state. These are our children. And we have to take care of our kids. Amen? That's what it's about. And so if you'd be willing to do it, any of those things, sign up. Uh, you can take one of these cards when you walk out of here this morning. You can use the QR code. You can take a picture of me later. I'm, I'll be available afterwards for photos. You know, you walk, any of those things that will help you get involved. And then right after service next Sunday morning, all of you that I've previously signed up to be responders or today is brand new, you're just hearing about it, um, you're signing up and after church will be a light lunch and uh, there'll be a responder training. We've never done a response training here before and you'll uh, get to meet Grace Dale and you're going to have an, an amazing day here next Sunday as you prepare to do ministry in the community to children and families. So awesome. All right. I've titled the message this morning. You're probably ready for me to get to the preaching part of this today. Amen. Amen. The courage of one. The courage of of one. <clears throat> I'm taller than, you know, the rest of the praise team apparently, so. <laughs> Joshua 2.11 says this, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. In Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends two spies to secretly scout out the city of Jericho. This is a reconnaissance, right? For those of you, I wasn't, how many of you served in the military? You're in the military. Thank you so much for your service. Come on, church. This was a reconnaissance. He sends in the two spies. Now, let me just, before I get deep into the message, because I like this thing called numerology. Anybody know what that is? It's like a really cool word there. So everybody knows me, like the number seven is like perfection. So when you read scripture, you can, you can learn that different numbers have an application to them. So the number of two in scripture is the number of witness. It's the number of witness. Now, Joshua, he only sends two in. Maybe he learned because Moses sent 12 in and only two came back with the witness, right? So Joshua's like, hey, we're going to skip that part. It got us stuck in the desert last time. We're only sending two in. Let's find the right two this time. So he sends two in, this number of witness. And they go into the city, and they end up seeking refuge in the home of a woman named Rahab. This woman was a local prostitute there. Thinking of who you could stay with probably wouldn't be your first thought there. But the king of Jericho finds out, he's informed about this, that these spies are in the city, they know all about the God of Israel. 
And they're trying to figure out where are these two spies? We need to get them. Come on, you got a picture in your mind here. They've been sent in to do a reconnaissance. They're in the city. The king knows they're there. He's trying to find them. We got to find these two guys. They're taking up shelter. They're being protected in the house of Rahab. And these men are going out to capture them. However, Rahab, instead of turning them in, she hides the spies. She takes a risk here. And she hides them up on her roof. She deceives the soldiers. She tells them that the spies, they're already gone. They've left. They're not here anymore. And then Rahab works out a deal. She works out a deal with the spies. And she says, look, she says, look, if you, you know, if you protect me, if you, you know, if you promise to spare me and my family, you know, then then I'll continue to protect you. We'll we'll work this out here. And so the, the the spies agreed to this. Under one condition, they would spare her and her family. Remember, what's just about her? Just a side note here. There's other people involved in this. Her family is important to her. She's taking a risk. Why? Not just to spare her own self. She's taking a risk because she wants to spare her family as well. So they had an agreement here. Rahab had an agreement. The spies said this. We'll do this under one condition. So Rahab had to tie a scarlet cord in her window as a sign for her family's protection. This red scarlet cord hung out of her window. So when, when the, the army came in, they would see this and they would know this lady and her family are protected. So the spies returned back to Joshua. They report their findings. You know, they, they emphasize about Rahab's cooperation, her faith. They confirm that the people of Jericho were fearful of the Israelites, like they're afraid of us. And that the people of Israel believe, <laughs> get this, they believe that our God is with us. The people in Jericho are like, we need to be afraid because have you heard about their God? Have you heard how dangerous he is? I don't know if you know this, but we serve a dangerous God. He's dangerous. You don't want to mess with him. They believed. And leading up to this in Joshua chapter 2, the Israelites, they'd been wandering in this wilderness for 40 years after they had escaped Egypt. Moses had been their previous leader. He died. Joshua's taken over. Remember, he was one of the two spies that went in initially. He'd taken over. He was now appointed as their new leader. And the Israelites are now on the brink of entering the promised land. They're right there. They're on the edge of this. And I want to give us five key takeaways this morning concerning the courage of one. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. Lord, your word is powerful. I believe that your word right now is for this moment in time, for many of us that are standing here and sitting here today. God, you're about to speak something fresh and alive into us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. First takeaway this morning I want to give to you is simply this. God is faithful. I know that seems awful simple, but God's faithful. This story reaffirms God's faithfulness to his people. He promised to give the land of Canaan to the Israelites. That was his promise. And through the actions of Rahab, the Canaanite woman, God's plan is set into motion. This woman here sets into motion the promise that God had made many years before. You know, sometimes there's things that God has revealed to us, promised us, and we're just thinking to ourselves, when is this ever going to happen? Like, what's going to be the catalyst to move this thing forward? And sometimes we start to disbelieve that God is faithful, that he's actually going to come through on our behalf, that he's going to make a way, right? Sometimes we, we start to begin to doubt that. But this morning, I want to speak back into your life 
that guess what? There's no room for doubt here. God is faithful. He makes a promise in Genesis chapter 17, verse 8 to Abraham. And he says, I will give you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. He makes a promise to Abraham that you will have this land. It will be your land, not just for you, but for your descendants after you. Listen, they struggled to get to this, right? They wondered, where's the promise? Where's the fulfillment of that? And there were some things that happened through their journey that prohibited them from receiving it in the time that they thought they should have it. Doubt, ungratefulness, lots of things can prohibit us. But our doubt, our ungratefulness doesn't stop God's faithfulness. It doesn't stop His faithfulness. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 8, the Lord makes His promise to Moses. And says, look, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, (laughs) to Isaac. He's like, he's going back through. Look, the promise is still there. It hasn't stopped. I'm just moving on to the next leader here because I made a promise and I'm going to fulfill that promise. And Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. This promise, God is faithful. And now we see Joshua. He's on the brink of seeing this promise fulfilled. And what happens here? An unlikely, an unlikely hero steps up to the plate. That's takeaway number two. An unlikely hero. Rahab. <laughs> How does she fit into this? Who groomed her to be the one to open the door? Who prepared her? What lifestyle did she live that made her so righteous that she would be the one to be the catalyst to seeing this happen? Rahab, a prostitute, becomes the unlikely hero in this story. It reminds us that God uses people from all walks of life, regardless of their past, their occupation, to accomplish His purposes. God uses people to accomplish His purposes. God wants to use you to accomplish His purpose. You're not just here just to be here, to sit here on a Sunday morning. He has a purpose. He wants to use you to accomplish that. It's his desire. And throughout Scripture, we're reminded over and over again how God used Rahab to do this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 31 says this, By faith, by faith, Rahab, the harlot. (laughs) The Bible's not trying to cover this up. The Bible's saying, look, let's just be clear who had faith here. It was the harlot that had faith. It was the prostitute that had faith. She's the one that had faith. And sometimes we think to ourselves, who am I? Listen, you're a man of faith. You're a woman of faith. That's who you are. A harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed, what? The spies in peace. She'd welcomed the spies in peace. She was unlikely because of her profession, what she did for a living. She was unlikely because of her people. She was a Canaanite. They were in rebellion against the God of Israel. But also, she had courage. She had courage. And she had faith. Courage and faith. Both those things God is depositing into our lives also. Courage and faith. It doesn't take a lot of faith. Just the size of a mustard seed. 
It doesn't take much at all. I can remember years ago when I was just a boy, my mother had a brain tumor. And uh, we weren't living for the Lord, we weren't really believers. Uh, you know, in fact, there's a lot of issues, let's just say, in the background of our family that I'm glad they haven't printed in the Bible yet. Let's just say that. And so I just remember the day that my mother went to the hospital for brain surgery. And I remember they, they packed all her stuff in the bags, you know, they do that, prepare, and they, they said, we're going to take her back and we're going to do one last set of, uh, of, of scans of her brain to see where the tumor is and where we're, we're going in at. We were living in Houston at the time. And I remember I was, I was waiting there, and I was probably just maybe 10, 11 years old, and um, a few hours later, my mom's coming out. They hadn't shaved her head off, her, the hair off her head. She's coming back out with my dad, and I'm like, what's going on? Why, why are we leaving? And they said, well, they went in, and they took the x-rays again, scanned the brain. There was no tumor. It was gone. God did it. He said, well, you guys must have been just amazing warriors for Jesus. And that's why, no. It's just the mercy of God. You only, it doesn't take, a, a mustard seed is very small. It, it only takes that much faith to see cancer destroyed in Jesus' name. Just the mustard seed. Just the mustard seed. Are you understanding? That's how much faith it takes. If it says you can move this mountain, just the mustard seed. It's not any harder for God to heal a headache than it is to heal someone of cancer Amen. or to remove a brain tumor. It's not a problem for the Lord. And here she was, an amazing woman. And she takes her faith because faith demands action. Do you understand that? Faith demands action. Third takeaway is that, that, that faith demands action. Rahab's faith is highlighted in her decision to hide the Israelite spies. She, she had faith. She believed in the God of Israel. And she made this determination, I'm going to hide the spies. I'm going to deceive the king of Jericho. And her actions demonstrate that faith without works is dead. That's what it demonstrates. She risked her life for the sake of the Israelites. But I go on to say she risked her life for the sake of her family too. Showing the power of faith in action. We see in James chapter 2. Verse number 25, again, in the same way was not Rahab. I'm like, I didn't realize that the Bible talks so much about Rahab. Rahab, the harlot, she's never going to get away from that label, is she? Like, she has been labeled. We'll come back to that in a minute. Also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Faith demands action. We can't say something and not be moved because if we're not moved, then we may not actually believe it. Faith demands action. And applying faith to our lives can be risky. There's a risk involved in that. I'm not really a risk taker. I haven't been most of my life. The only reason I've taken risks is because the Lord has positioned me and said, do it. <laughs> Other than that, I like to have the plan. And I like to follow the plan. I like to make sure the plan is safe. <laughs> yeah. 
But guess what? When faith is involved, nothing's safe. Because God is not safe. He's not safe to be around. Moses says, don't go up on the mountain. He's not safe. God's not safe. He's dangerous. And faith demands action. It's risky. It's dangerous. And it's rewarding. You don't get the reward without the risk. You have to take the risk. You have to step out there. Listen, I've never felt more alive in my life than I do now. Why? Because I don't live a safe life anymore. I live a life that requires risk. And as a result of that, there are rewards all around me. My house is full of rewards. Courageous people. The uh, fourth takeaway this morning. God provides protection. This is divine protection. God provides protection. Rahab's assistance to the Israelite spies leads to her and her family being spared when Jericho is eventually conquered. And this does, it reveals to us God's promise of protection. He said, look, drop that down and you will be protected. How many want the protection of the Lord over your household, over you? God reveals it's his promise of protection to those who align themselves with him and his people. Psalms chapter 91, verse number nine says, For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Yes, I believe in angels, not to worship, but I believe they're there to protect me because God's given them charge over me. It's divine protection that is there. Exodus chapter 23, verse number 22 says this, but if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. <laughs> God said, look, do you want me to be their enemy? Yes, I do. <laughs> and an ad adversary to your adversaries. I will defend you, protect you, and fight for you. I will do that. If you truly obey my voice, obey my voice. The fifth takeaway, God honors preparation and planning. See, I like this one because now it gets back to a little bit of like <laughs> using my brain and figuring something out, right? The spy's mission to gather information, right? Reconnaissance. Get some information. Go find out what's going on in there. And Rahab's involvement in hiding them demonstrates the importance of this preparation and strategy. She had a strategy. She hid them. She sent them off. She told them where to go, what to do, when it would be safe. They had a strategy in place also. And so it emphasizes that there is a need for planning, being strategic, and fulfilling God's purposes. And at the end of the day, part of that strategy is hearing God's voice, knowing God's direction, having faith in that. It's been months since Pastor Andy called me and was saying, look, 
here's what's going on with our facility. And you know, as a, as a young church, man, you guys are doing amazing. And the growing pains of figuring out, you know, we need a place to meet that has great air conditioning and that, <laughs> that they can run below 80 degrees, because I think that's what it is in here. So, yeah, right. <laughs> and so he called me, he's like, here, here's like two options, things going on, and I, I, can't, I can't tell you what to do, but you're doing the right thing. You're trying to come up with a plan, a strategy, but then at the end of the day, you're going to have to make a faith decision. Like you have to, that's, that's what's involved here. We do that throughout our life. We make faith decisions. And then once we make those decisions, we don't look back, do we? Because we made the, it doesn't matter what, how it turns out. When we made the decision, guess what? God told us to do this. And so we, we walk forward in that. Sometimes we make faith decisions and we look back and say, oh, did I hear from God? Don't do that. When you walk in faith, step out in that. Hold on to that. Because... Guess what? When they went into the land of Canaan, they, they fought battles. You understand me? <laughs> it's not like they, didn't, they went into the land of Canaan, there was no battles. There's always battles ahead of us. But when we're walking where God wants us to walk, we have the victory. That's the big difference there. That's why the faith decision is important. Victory is there. Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. How many want the advantage? <laughs> I like the advantage. I want to win. I don't want to lose. In fact, I don't play golf. I live across the street from a golf course. My son has hundreds of golf balls from our front lawn. <laughs> but I'm not, you know, if I was going out and playing golf with my son-in-law and they said, hey, you can have a handicapped, give you an extra 20 strokes, I'd say, I'll take the advantage and I'm going to crush you. <laughs> I want the advantage. But it goes on to say this, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. People who are hasty. What does that mean? A hasty, yeah, hasty can mean to give no thought or consideration. You're just quick to make a decision. Just quickly. But the Bible says, no, no, don't be hasty. Send in a reconnaissance. I mean, does the Lord know how this is going to play out? Yes. But we're involved in what's going on also. Let's have a plan in place here. I always have a plan. And sometimes in the moment of what's going on, that, that plan always gets turned over to the Lord. And I say, if you got a better plan, you better pull it out now. <laughs> but there's always a plan, a plan there. The Bible says if you don't have a plan, you're just lazy. You're just kind of winging everything. But you got to have a plan, a strategy in place. And there was preparation, there was strategy that was going on in the midst of this. And even when they go to take Jericho and you read the story of how that happened, it didn't really happen like you'd think it normally would, right? <laughs> they come in, they go over the walls and fight the city. You know, it's not like the movies. It's completely weird. Like they sing and dance and circle the tower and then God crushes it and then they go in and kill everyone. You know, that's how it happens. At the end of the day, it all ends up the same way. Everyone dies except Rahab and her family. So, you know, we just get there a different way. I like God's way. I think it's a pretty cool. You know. Anyways, all right. I want to connect some dots here as I kind of wrap things up this morning. First of all, I want to start with the story of Rahab. She lets down this scarlet cord. It's tied to her window. It's a sign here to the Israelites. Hey, don't touch her. Don't touch her. Don't touch her. Don't touch her household. Spare her. The scarlet cord symbolizes Rahab's faith and her willingness to trust in the God 
of the Israelites. She doesn't know. Like, it's not like she's saying, oh, how are you guys going to get in here? Like, do you have a plan? Like, what's going? Like, she's not filtering through all of that. All she's got is this. Your God is amazing. <laughs> Can he protect me when he comes in here? She has faith. That's what she has. And that, that red cord was her act of faith showing, look, before the whole world. It's kind of like when we're water baptized. Hey, everybody, I have faith. I want the whole world to see that now God is the one who protects me. I'm under his covering. In a similar way, during the Exodus, we see how the Israelites, they're instructed by God to what? Mark their doorposts with what? The blood of the sacrificial lamb. We see red running through this here. And this was an act. It served as a sign here for, for the Passover that what the death angel would go over those homes. When you see the red over the doorway, just like with Rahab, pass by that place. Don't go there. It was a sign that was there for this final plague. Firstborn of the Egyptians would be killed. The blood on the doorpost symbolized what their faith. When they painted it there, it was their faith, their faith, their obedience to God's command. They trusted what? In his protection. God is going to protect us. And all night long, they heard the, the cries of people whose children were being killed that night by the death angel. And they stayed in their homes, what? Protected. Think about Rahab as they came into the city. She stayed in her home, didn't she? While she heard the cries of people. People who hated God, hated the Israelites. But God says, no, I'm going to protect those who are mine. Protect them. And then lastly, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus holds this immense significance for our Christian theology. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the shedding of his blood are seen as this atonement for it, the sins of humanity. You know, who are we fighting against? Who's the villain in our story? We could say Satan is because he is the villain in our story. But our own sins are the villain in our story. We're fighting against our own flesh. Not other people's flesh, our own flesh. That's where our battle's taking place. And just as the blood on the doorpost protected the Israelites, the blood of Jesus cleanses and saves us from our sin. The consequences of the sin. The blood of Jesus offers us what? Salvation from our sin. Eternal life. It's the blood of Jesus that represents what? Redemption. Forgiveness, reconciliation with God. I think about these things and I think of the courage of one. Not just Rahab. What about Jesus? Yeah. What kind of courage did it take to know that I'm going to leave the beauty of heaven. I'm going to leave my powers, become a man, a flesh. I could be killed now, murdered just like my creation I'm going to go down into a, a place that I've created that is, that is full of murder and anger and rage and violence. Times haven't changed. We, when we watch the news, we're like, oh, it's so bad. It was just as bad then. Listen, the first family, one brother killed the other. It's not like times changed any. The courage of one. Jesus is the most courageous man, when we call him the Son of Man, that I know. He left everything 
to save the world, his creation, not a faction in that creation, but all of creation, all of mankind, all sins. Jesus had the courage to do that for us. We now paint our doorposts. We now apply the blood of Jesus. We accept that his sacrifice protects us. His sacrifice is over us. His sacrifice is what we need. It's the saving power of God. Joshua 2.11, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That whole people in Jericho, their courage failed. And while their courage was failing, one lady's courage was increasing. There are people in our community today, even in this church today, whose courage is failing for one reason or another. But God's saying, don't let your courage fail with everyone else because I want to deposit courage into your life. The same courage that my son had to come into this world, I want to deposit into you. And you may see other people's courage failing. Be like Rahab. You may say, well, who am I? Where do I come from? Why should I have courage? Look at my mom. Look at my dad. Look what they were like. You may look at all these things and God's saying, I'm not looking at any of that. I'm just looking at somebody who I'm depositing faith into today. And with that faith comes courage. Because none of us can stand up today and say, I surrender all to Jesus without courage. It requires courage to do that. Rahab grew in that. She was an unlikely hero in this story. But she believed in God's faithfulness. His promise. And she got in on His promise. You understand that? The promise was not for her. She got in on it. She put her faith into action. You see, faith demands action. God provided her protection. And God honors our preparation and our planning. He honors that. And this morning, maybe your faith is failing. Maybe your courage seems absent. But God is depositing a message into your heart today that is resonating with you that is causing you to believe for just a moment that you know what? If Rahab can have courage, why can't I? Why can't I? And Jesus says there's no reason why. In fact, today, I'm going to deposit that into you, into your heart and into your mind. Let's all stand together. Would you bow your heads at the same time? Would you bow your, bow your heads for a minute. Bow your hearts. Just close your eyes for a minute. That way you get rid of any distractions around you. I want to pray for you in just a minute, but I want to gives you an opportunity to be involved in this.
If you're here this morning, and maybe you've never fully surrendered your life to Christ, never fully surrendered. I mean, given everything to Him. You want the blood of Jesus to cover not just you, but to cover your family. Not splash a little over the doorpost and say, I think that's enough. But no, fully surrender to the Lord. And you say, would you pray for me today? Because I'm ready right now. I feel courage rising up in me right now. I'm ready right now to fully surrender my life to Jesus Christ and make him my Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? That's it today. You're ready to fully surrender to him today. Maybe you're here this morning. And you just don't feel so courageous in your life. But God's been speaking to you in these last 35 minutes telling you that don't worry about the feeling. I want to deposit something into your life that's going to give you the strength that you need. Maybe you feel like some of these others at times that your courage is failing. But today, you just simply say, would you pray for me? Pray for me that my courage would rise up in Christ. If that's you, slip your hand up. You're praying today. God, deposit that in me. Who else here today? Who else? God bless you. God bless you. Courage. You may be walking through something right now. It might be, it might be a health issue that you're walking through right now. And the enemy has been creating doubt in your heart over it. And today you just lift your hand up and say, I, I want courage today. Courage to believe. Anyone else today? Maybe you're facing some issues. I see you. God bless you. I see, maybe you're facing some issues in your family today, in your marriage and you say, I've doubted that my marriage is going to make it. Maybe you've struggled in your relationships around you. Today, this is for you. Courage in Jesus' name. Maybe you've got children who've walked away from the Lord. And you're just like, God, help them. Lord, give me the courage to know what to say, what not to say. But to keep believing on their behalf. Today, you're asking courage to believe for your children. Slip your hand up. I want to pray for you today. Who else today? Courage to believe for your children. We serve a God and a leader who's the most courageous of all, Jesus Christ. You won't find anyone in this world or any other world <laughs> that has the courage of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you this morning for what you're depositing into each and every one of us. Sometimes we lack faith. We lack courage. But I believe today there's a gift in the name of Jesus. A gift that's being received right here, right now. I'm going to ask everyone to make this your prayer. I'm going to say a prayer. Repeat this. Make this your prayer today. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to me through the power of the Holy Spirit. I receive your word. And right now, anything that I'm facing that would be robbing me 
of my faith and my strength I cast aside because I believe in your protection. I believe in your promise. And I believe right now in your power to defeat the enemy. I receive courage now through the Holy Spirit. The same courage that I see in my Savior. I receive today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Come on, give him some praise this morning. Somebody bless him today. God did it. It's on you. It's in you. I speak this over you today before we leave. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you. Wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness. Protect you through the storm. May he bring you home into this home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you into this home again rejoicing once again into these doors. In Christ's name I speak that over you. And all of God's people said amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.